Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. You can turn over to John chapter 19 and Luke chapter 23. So if you want to turn to one and stick your finger in the other or a piece of paper or something. We've been talking for the last month or so about the... So we've been looking at these seven phrases or statements that Jesus made when he was on the cross with, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And just this whole spirit of forgiveness that, that Jesus demonstrated there. And then when he turns to the thief that was next to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And behold your son, talking about John, and John, behold your mother. And the care that he has, that he takes for those, the family. And then we get to Father my God, my God, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we, it goes back to Psalm 22. Jesus is actually, see that. He's declaring, I am Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And then on Friday night, we talked about the phrase, the very short phrase, and it was there, I thirst. I have need. I, I feel. I know what you go, know what you experience as human beings because he is human. It's hard for us to say, it's easier sometimes to believe that he's God than it is to believe he's also man. This morning, there are two left. Resurrection morning. There is this sixth statement that Jesus makes. It's why we celebrate this morning. It's why this morning, but every morning, every day. Because Jesus makes the statement in John 19 and he says it is finished it's finished it's done John 19 verse 30 when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished he bowed his head and gave up his spirit it is finished now look in Luke 23 because we're going to hit both of these this morning because they go together that's together then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, so you put not one spell has all seven statements or phrases for us, but you put them together, you get all seven. So John told, Luke tells us, "Submit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So right here in quick succession, you have Jesus saying, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. What is finished? That's the question. What is finished? I want to tell you right off the bat, this is not like when you send your children to their room to clean it, okay? And they, and they come back and say, it's done. It's done. It's finished. This is not like that, okay? It's not even close to being like that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right? Yeah, absolutely. They come back and they say, it's finished. And then usually if you're a wise parent or if you've been through this a timer, you know, you've been to this rodeo before, um, you look at them and say, is it finished the way I would do it? Is it, is it done that way? Well, I, then they begin to hem and haw and say, I better go back, all right? And after two or three of those, maybe we're getting closer, all right? This isn't that at all. When Jesus said it's finished, it was finished. It was done. There was nothing left to be done. But what is he talking about finished? The interesting thing is we often like to take and pull, I think it's kind of our American way, we like to pull events out and look at them as standalone events. But you'll see that, Remember Stephen in the book of Acts, when he's one of those first deacons there in the early church, be, right before they stone him, they brought him, they're getting ready to stone him, but he has the opportunity to preach, to speak to them. 
And what does he do is he begins to, there's a whole chapter there in Acts chapter 7 where he begins to speak. But what does he do? He goes back all the way to Abraham and the patriarchs. He starts walking through the story and he comes all the way up to Jesus. Why? Because he wanted the people who were about to stone him to death, he wanted them to understand this is part of a bigger narrative, part of a bigger story. You have this over and over again. In the Old Testament, you have this. When Nehemiah and Ezra both come back to, to Jerusalem from exile, Nehemiah there to rebuild the wall, and Ezra's working on the temple. But when they begin work, the story, they walk them through how God had led them up to this point, what had taken place, and how what was happening right now fit into that story. If you take the cross out of the whole story of human history, you miss the significance. If you go to Acts chapter 17, and you can write it down, you don't have to turn there right now. We won't take the time to read all of it this morning. 17, you have Paul in Athens. He comes to the Areopagus, which to those who sat around, these, these scholars, if you will, these folks who were academic, were always debating some new thought, some new idea, some new theory. And so Paul comes in, and he's invited into this. And when he comes to speak, he says, you know, I notice, based on walking around your city here and looking at different things, that you're very religious. You have a, you have a desire to understand religious, spiritual things. You even have an altar, or you have a statue there, to someone you call the unknown God. I want to tell you who that unknown God is. The one that you worship and don't know, I know him. I know who he is. And so Paul begins, where does he go? Now see, when talking to the Jewish people, Stephen and, and even Nehemiah and Ezra, everyone else, they would go back to Abraham. They would go back to the patriarchs and talk about their history. Where does Paul go back? He goes all the way back to creation. He goes all the way to creation. He said, God in the very beginning created all that we know in this natural universe that we see. And he said, not only did he create that, but he created human beings. And he created these human beings to live for a certain period of time in a certain place. He set the boundaries for their life and the place that they would live. All this is in Acts chapter 17. By the way, if you're wondering why you're here, you need to understand that an eternal God, creator of the universe, set the time of your life and the boundaries where you would live. He did that. You think, well, no, I choose that. No, you don't. No, you don't. He did that. For what purpose? That is always the question. For what purpose? Scripture is very clear. He did this that we might seek Him and by some means know Him, come to know Him. That's why He did it. That's why He made every human being and set them in history, in their time, in their place, in the person that they are, so that every one of us might seek Him and come to find Him and know Him. And Paul says, by the way, he's not hard to find or know because he's very near. He's not far off. He's not making this like a game of hide and seek where you can't find him. He's really near. Then Paul goes on to say, people have lived in ignorance about this story. They haven't understood all of this. No, and this time it has been revealed what God has been up to. And the way that he's, because man has done his own thing. He has run his own direction, lived life on his own terms and suffer the consequences of that. But God had a plan all along, and now he has revealed what that plan is. It is his son, Jesus. And as a matter of fact, he says all of this is linked in Jesus dying and rising again. And the scripture says when they heard about the resurrection, well, that's just too much to take. When Jesus 
spoke those words on the cross and said, it is finished. He was saying all that God has been doing since the creation of man, since the very beginning, all that He has been up to, His love and care and concern for every human being and His desire to be in relationship with every single human being. He said, I had to make a way so that He could do that. You know, we sometimes ask, why is it that a loving God would send a person to hell? Why would He, why would he reject someone? That is the wrong question. The better question, the right question is, how can a just and righteous God let any of us go to heaven? How can He do that? You say, well, what do you mean by that? Let me ask you, if you went to court, let's say I, I broke into Dennis and Kathy's home, all right? And I stole stuff because I liked it and I thought I needed it more than they did, okay? So I took it, but they saw me. I'm hard to miss, all right? <laughs> they saw me. And I get caught and I go to jail and I go stand before the judge and all the evidence is, is there. I'm guilty. I am caught red-handed. I have no excuse. I make no excuse. I needed it more than they did. I just took it. And the judge looks at it and says, well, I think you're trying your best. It's okay. Just go on. Go on and get out of here. You're all right. I just, I let you go. Now, Dennis and Kathy are probably going to be upset. All right? You would be, wouldn't you? Why? What would we say about that judge? We'd say he's wrong. We'd say this is unfair. We'd say this is unjust. This isn't justice. Now that's on a human level. Can you imagine the judge of the universe, the God of the universe who is perfect, completely says, oh, yeah, I know you're bad. I know you sin. I know you're sinners by birth and by choice. But it's okay. I'll just overlook it and let you on in. He would stand in opposition to who he is. He couldn't be just and righteous if he did that. He couldn't. There would be no way. Sin has to be paid for. It has to be. Why? Because God set it up that way. Because he's righteous and just. So the question begins, the question then is, okay, if it has to be paid for, in order for there to be justice, someone has to pay. Who's going to pay? Normally, in our judicial system, I would be the one that would pay. I would have to make restitution to Dennis and Kathy. I would have to return the things if I have them. I may have to go to jail and spend some time. I have to pay. That's the way our system is set up. But what if we're talking about a debt that's too big for me to pay? What if we're talking about something that I owe that there's no way in a hundred lifetimes I could pay it back? And we say, well, we just give you punishment then. That's our human system. Yes, we give punishment. But the righteous holy God says, no, I have a different plan in mind. Someone has to pay and you can't, you can't pay. So I will pay it for you. I'll pay it for you. Has anybody ever done that? Have you ever been in the drive-thru and somebody in front of you paid for it? And you know, isn't that an incredible feeling when you, think, when you drive up? At least initially, it's an incredible feeling. It's like, wow, this is all paid for. Then, I, then the guilt says, should I pay for the one behind me? All right? 
be honest. Have you ever thought? I, I knew. I was like, should, all right, should I pay for the person behind me? And then it's like it gets going, and then it's almost like the people inside the window, they're probably judging me because, they, you know, 10 people have paid for them, but I'm going to be the one that breaks it. Um, but, but there's something initially in all of that that feels really good for, for me. I don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid for it for us. He paid what we could not pay. When he said it is finished, he's talking about this whole story of human history that's been leading up to this point. In the Old Testament, there was a system by to at least appease, um, make some installments, if you will, on his debt that he couldn't pay. He couldn't pay it off, but maybe he could make a few installments along the way. He could make some offering, a, a sacrifice, if you will. He, there were certain things he had to do under the old covenant. But that was never God's plan. That was never his ultimate goal, was for you and me to try to live that way. As a matter of fact, he did it with his people. Why? Galatians tells us to demonstrate that we could never pay. We could never be righteous. We could never be good enough. We could never do it. So that we would understand. He said the law was designed to bring me, it was a schoolmaster, it was a teacher to bring me to Christ. What is it that Jesus finished? What is it he paid? The, the Greek word for, for it is finished is tetelestai. The verb is tetelos. It literally means to accomplish, to end, to complete to be done. And it was common practice in that day that when there was a debt that was owed, that when that debt was paid, there would be a bill of sale. And they would stamp Tetelestai on that. Paid in full. It's done. It's paid. Jesus basically declares, over all of creation, over all of mankind, paid in full. It wasn't Jesus making a deposit and then expecting us to do monthly or weekly installments. But we live that way sometimes, don't we? As though Jesus made the down, down payment and then we have to make installments along the way. No, it's paid in full. I want you to look with me at Matthew. How do we know that God the Father accepted this? Matthew 27. All this is quickly. Within, within seconds, this is all transpiring. Jesus declares it is finished. Seven gives us another little piece of what's going on. Verse 50 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and, uh, It is finished. Father, into, my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's all happening right now. And behold, when that happened, behold, the curtain of the temple. What curtain is he talking about? The curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, the regular part of the temple. It says the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where you couldn't go. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. Not from bottom. You know, you expect if somebody cut it, they'd do from bottom up. Because it was tall, it was big. No, it was torn from top to bottom. God the Father saying, I accept the payment. It has been paid in full, I accept, I receive it. It's done. Now I want you to notice what else happens. The earth... All right, so this all happens as Jesus dies. 
The tombs also were open, and many bones sleep were raised. These were people who had died. And coming out of the tombs, I, I, again, can you imagine? No. Now, to re, you need to read this because what it says is that there was this earthquake when Jesus died, and the rocks were, because most people were buried and built into the open. And so now there are, and more than likely, we are talking about people who had recently died because people would recognize them. If you're talking about saints from a thousand years earlier, most people wouldn't recognize them. They wouldn't know who they are. But in all likelihood, he's talking about those who had recently buried. They can't, that can't be fixed because it's Passover. It would, be again, it would violate Passover for them to go touch a dead body. So they can't do anything with it during Passover. So they, they're just there. The tombs are just split open. <laughs> but when Jesus rises from the grave, it says some of these saints came right along with him. Why? Because he's demonstrating he has power over life, death, and the grave. He has power over all of it. And so they come, they go walking around. Can you imagine you open the door and your relative shows up who, who you have buried not too long before then? We would think it's a movie, but it's not. It's reality. Why? You have nothing to fear. There is no fear in death. There is no fear in the unknown. He has power and authority over all of it. There is nothing to fear. The Father receives the payment. I want to read to you just some. I, can't, I don't have time this morning. But I want to read for you what the Scripture says about this payment. Because it is so powerful. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 9. We'll start there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. And by the way, even if you don't turn to these, if you've got something to write, you might think of time I'm reading short passages. Read them in the context. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, I, the whole book of Hebrews, just read the whole, matter of fact, the whole Bible is really good. Um, <laughs> but, but Hebrews, Hebrews is one of my favorite books. I love the book of Hebrews. To understand what has been paid for us, the book of Hebrews and the book of Romans, powerful, powerful. All right. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands. He's talking with hands, that's an offering for the sins of the whole nation. And they would do this, and God would accept that it was a covering, if you will. It was a temporary solution. It was a picture of better things to come. For they're just pictures or symbols of the true thing. But into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. If Jesus were like human high priest, he'd have to do this over and over again. But it says for them, if he was like, going on. yes, it's still going on. But the the plan of God for the salvation of mankind else has to be done, the sacrifice of himself. He did it once for all. It's done. Look, I doesn't remember them anymore because they're already paid for. They're already done. Seeds. There is no longer any offering for sin. It's done. After two. But also the one who originates sin. The one who's the author of it. The one who's coming who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, spiritually dead. God made alive together with him. What about the ones you haven't committed yet? They fall, it's all, right? It's righteous. There was a debt. There was a record. There was a legal document, if you will, in heaven. Literally, because he won. 
Look at the next passage with me. Don't read over these things too quickly. When he had offered a single sacrifice, whose sacrifice? His, on the cross. Down at the right hand of God. Now it's important to notice something here. In verse 11, right before this, it's talking about that was sins and the sins of the people. They could not sit down. Why? Because it was never finished. It Literally for them, their work was never done. It was never completely paid for. Do you understand who he is? 14. Do 14 up there? There we go. There's a verse in between. Would you see verse 14? He. This is what is hard to believe, okay? I'm just going to warn you right now. This is hard to believe. He. For by, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who are the ones being sanctified? Us, right. Because you can sit here and say, you know, Troy, you're talking about the sin and all, but I still sin. Yeah, join the club. We do. We still sin. For us, that's a problem. It wasn't for God. He said, no, I'm going, and my plan, what I have worked out here, is I'm going to go ahead and pay for all of your sin, even what you haven't committed yet. I'm going to pay for all of it. I'm going to die for every bit of it. I'm going to perfect you for all time. Do you realize, look at the person next to you and say, did you know you're perfect? Look at him, tell him, do you know you're perfect? <laughs> if, now add that, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're perfect, all right? Some of you are looking at it and said, I couldn't say it with a straight face. I really couldn't. I couldn't say it with a straight face. All right? I know. I know. I know. We look at each other. We see people according to the flesh. Jim talked about this a few weeks ago when he was preaching. We see people according to the flesh, and we think, eh, they're far from perfect, Pastor. All right? And we look in the mirror, and we say that about ourselves. We're far from perfect. Do you understand that if you are in Christ... You have been perfected for all time. You have been. It's already done. You are perfect. You say, I don't feel perfect. It doesn't change anything. All right? We often say as we get older, we don't feel old. It doesn't change the fact we are old. All right? <laughs> I don't feel certain things, but it doesn't change the fact they're true. I have been perfected for all time those who are being sanctified because there's a work that's still going on in us he's still changing us he's transforming us it was finished it is finished it's done i have wrestled i grew up in church i went to church before i even knew i was in church i've heard the gospel i knew about jesus i knew the stories had the flannel graph I do kind of miss flannel graph a little bit. I really do. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of new technology and things, but flannel graph was cool, you know. And you know, I participated in the Bible drills and the and sword drills. We used to do sword drills where you had to find passages, and that was a life that I knew, but I didn't know Jesus. I knew all of that. I just didn't know Him. You say, what do you mean you didn't know him? I had prayed a prayer. 
And I believe he saved me. I, I knew what I knew at that point. I stood. But I didn't get all of this. As much as I knew, I didn't know anything. And then when someone began to try to show it to me, I couldn't believe it. It's like, you're wrong. That's just not true. If I had time this morning, we'd just spend hours, and I'd show you passages. This isn't an isolated thought, folks. This is the New Testament. It's everywhere. You start looking for it. It's everywhere. This is what Jesus did for us. What he did for all of us. You say, well, Troy, it seems overly simplistic, but obviously, I mean, there's got to be something. You say he did it all, but there's got to be something that I do. There is. There is something that you do in this. I mean, you can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to pay for it. You can't do anything to pay the debt. You can't do any of that. But Jesus demonstrated for us on the cross what you and I, what is expected in this narrative, in this story. He shows us on the cross with his last statement. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Lord, I believe and I receive. I give myself to you. I'm yours. It's just that simple. It's no more complicated than that. You say, well, I... What about this or what about that? Uh, again, the sanctifying work of Jesus in our life changes a lot of things about our life. Okay? That's true. That's a different message. That's an ongoing work that He does. But when it comes to salvation, there is no work. There is no but or and. It is simply, I believe that Jesus, it is finished, that Jesus did it all. And I receive that. I receive you, Jesus. You're my Savior. You're the one who paid the debt. I believe that. I give myself to you. I'm yours. I follow you. Now, before you say, oh, well, that seems too simple. It's not simple at all. I have been often asked the question, what am I going to have to give up to follow Jesus? And I smile, and I say only one thing. And so they get ready. What's that one thing I have to give up? You know, is it my favorite drink or is it, you know, smoking or chasing? Well, what is the one thing I'm going to have to give up? You have to give up being boss. That's what you have to give up. That's the only way salvation works. The only way that is stamped on you and me, paid in full, is I give up the right to make the final decision. I give up being boss. You say, I can't do that. And I'm sorry, you can't be saved. Did that come out harsh? I didn't mean it to come out harsh. Just honest. You cannot come to Jesus on your own terms. You cannot. Plain and simple. By the way, if you're a believer, if you are saved, if you are born again, if you have trusted Jesus, the same applies to you and me. We can't come to Jesus now as believers on our own terms either. We surrendered that. We surrendered that when we said, Lord, into your hands. I give you me. I surrender. And I keep on doing that every day of my life. I can't be in charge. I can't be the boss. It's exciting. 
Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, it's exciting. We love it. and There's energy about all that. And I appreciate that. But my prayer has been all week long is that you and I would see in a fresh new way not only how marvelous and awesome and incredible this is, what Jesus has done, what he finished for us, but we also would recognize that there is only one way to enter into it. Only one way. Does that seem intolerant? It does to me too. I didn't make it up. I didn't, it's not my story. I didn't write it. It's not my plan. The Father and the Son and the Spirit devised this plan before the foundation of the world. And they made a way so that you and I could be in a relationship with the God of the universe. And I can tell you, I, we were praying this morning, and I was um, overwhelmed this morning trying to describe the truth about who God is and what he has done with words. How do you do that? How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? All right. How many of you could draw us a picture right now to show us what it looks like? Some of you would do better than others. Me, I have a hard time with stick people. All right. So I... I get done and you would wonder, is it a dog or a cat or is it, what is it? You wouldn't, there would be no way. That's how I feel this morning. I am trying in the frailty of human expression at God, who he is and what he has done. And I can't. But I don't have to because right now I know who he is. He by his spirit is speaking to you. I don't have to. He does that. And if he is, this morning, whether you have ever believed, ever believed him, ever received him, if you never have, then I would say today's the day for you to do that. Right now. Don't wait. Right now. You say, Jesus, I believe. You say, well, is there something? No, just between you and the Lord. You say, can I do it right? Yes. Right this moment, you can do it. Do I have to use certain words? Your words. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you died and paid for my sin, and it's done. And I want to be yours. I want to be in relationship with you. I give you, I surrender, I give you my life. I repent. What is repent? Repent is simply, I was going this way, believing this. I don't believe that anymore. Now I'm going this way. That's what repent is. I repent. I believe this. Now I believe you. I don't want to go with you. Ask him, Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. He will. He will. He's already made a way. It's already finished. It's already paid for. You enter in by faith. If you are born again today, I have the same challenge to you. Submit to him. You say, well, Troy, I'm saved. That's great. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. There is a life 
beyond what you and I can imagine in following Jesus. But it requires daily submission. Daily saying, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. Into your hands. You know what's interesting? The first recorded words we have of Jesus, when he's 12 years old, and he says, don't you know, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? That's the first recorded words we have of him. I'm doing what my dad sent me here to do. I'm following. I'm obeying. What are his last words before he dies? Father, into your hands. I, I started this just doing what you say. I end this just doing what you say. I'm yours. I'm yours. If you know him today, that's the Christian life. From start to finish, I'm yours. I don't make my own decisions. I don't make my own choices. I don't live life on my own terms. I live for you. The resurrection message today. That's the power of the resurrection at work in you and me. That's what he does. Why don't you bow your heads with me? When we end the service in a few moments, we always have prayer partners here at the front. And what are prayer partners? They're just people like us who want to pray with you about whatever God's doing in your life. If it's something we've talked about this morning and you just, God's stirring and you have a question or you, or you need to respond, they're there to pray with you, help you. If it's something else going on in your life, a need of any sort, they want to pray with you and help you. That's what they're there for. And they, they're always here at the end of a service. You don't have to run out. You can just come and just talk to them. But right now, before we go any further, are you willing to say, Jesus, I commit, I surrender my life into your hand. Just like he surrendered his life, his spirit, into the hands of the Father. I surrender my life to you. I'm yours. Wherever that leads, whatever it costs, I'm yours. Would you do that? As he leads you, would you do that? Right where you are. As you're talking to the Lord, I'm going to ask Lori to sing a verse of an old hymn. I love this old hymn. And the message it talks about is exactly what we've talked about this morning. So as you talk to the Lord, they're going to sing. And in a moment, we're going to join with them. Hallelujah. 
Let's all sing that. Oh, come let us. Sometimes, Lord, almost too good to be true. It seems too good to be true. Hard to imagine. Hard to believe. I pray, Lord, by your Spirit, that you would cause each of us today to believe you more than we did when we walked in here. Lord, guide us by your Spirit as we wrestle through these things. Lord, thank you for your saving power in our life. I pray today that there is one, maybe more than one, who did not know you when they came in. But Lord, today, today they walk out of this place having surrendered to you, having believed you and given their life to you. And if you are that one today, would you tell someone as you leave this place, it may be a family member, a friend, maybe one of the folks up here at the front, would you tell somebody, I believe, I believe. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. And Lord, in all of us who do believe already, Lord, I want to believe more. I want to, I want to believe everything you say to the fullest and experience it to the utmost. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing and what you will do. We praise you. Lord, we are dependent upon you and you alone. So we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.